So thanks everybody. It's been a fabulous day so far. Um, I flirted with using possible cells for a few years and then I get a bit frustrated and I leave it alone and then I go back to it again and actually I feel really energised now we're starting to develop a bit of a community of practice of people using the possible selves theory and the reason I've found it frustrating at times is because it is so psychological and I'm a sociologist of education and um, so some of my concerns about it are the ways in which it can be used to ignore some of the sort of structural issues that face individuals and problematise the individuals themselves and place responsibility on individuals to do something about lives which are actually constrained by social structures and, and not their individual ways of seeing the world necessarily. Um, so I have done some work in this area and as I say, um, but I've come back to it now because I am also have done a lot of work with refugees over the years and I continue to work with that community um, and the, the sort of two areas have connected and that's what I'm going to talk about, um, how refugees think about their futures and using possible selves to think about how we might want to better support refugees to try and reframe future possibilities. So just to recap on some of the things that have already been talked about, I'm not going to go back over the Marcus and Nuria stuff again, but it is very much for this particular presentation, it's about what people wish to become and what they're fearful about becoming and that's really important when thinking about how refugees may or may not think about their futures. Um, it is something, it's a construct that you can hold multiply singly about more than one aspect of your life etc etc and it can be about generalised states or specific roles and again this is relevant to my thinking about refugees that I'll, I'll come to in a minute. Um, we've talked about the ways in which thinking about a possible self in the future can be very highly developed or can be very underdeveloped etc etc. Um, picking up on the point that was made towards the end of the last presentation, Angela's presentation, so you can only really imagine a possible self in the future from the pool of possible selves that have been presented to you. So it is constrained by the world in which you live in and therefore that's why the issue of role models can be quite relevant because they can present possibilities that individuals may not have thought about uh, but equally can act to problematise the ways in which people think about themselves and their ability to never live, or live up to those expectations. So it can be problematic using role models. I don't think it's always quite as straightforward as sometimes it's uh, as presented as being. And it's very much the, the, possibles, the possibilities that people can envisage are very closely linked to that social and cultural and economic world in which people are living and the history of themselves, their families and their communities. So all of those things will shape the possibilities that people are able to envisage. Um, there's been quite a lot of work around gender and I'm going to come back to one of my projects around gender as well and class and the ways in which gender and I use class here in a way which is actually quite problematic because often it's talking about economic and, and poverty. It's not, it's not necessarily about class although there can be a link um, there is an interesting link with the Bourdieu's way of thinking about habitus and possible selves, which I'm not going to talk about here, but I think it's an area for further consideration how some of these different ways of thinking 
sociologically and psychologically might overlap. Um, but also my area of interest has been about race and ethnicity and I've done some work in that area which has been referred to this morning but so have all of those researchers that have been alluded to. So these are the people that are listed there, people like Lips, Oysterman particularly and obviously Marcus and Nurius are the people who've worked in this field for a long time and I'm very much an incomer into this area. Um, I think the thing that also has been picked upon and the, the thing that I'm going to come back to is how you think about what's possible is very much related to the people around you and whether they validate and affirm or threaten and ignore the potential possibility. So Angela in your presentation there you talked about um, the school saying that the child wasn't clever but he never got to the, to the, the, um, the child themselves but the parent then chose to completely ignore the possibility either way that they either weren't clever or that they were clever. So those around us are the very people that are likely to shape how we think about what's possible and that's family. Family the most fundamentally important to this but also advisors and educators um, and then wider societal discourses about what it's possible to be and this is how it links back to things like gender and ethnicity so those discourses about um, what possible futures are possible for women, what possible futures are the right possibilities for different social groups and so on. We talked a little bit about how um, thinking about those future selves does engender action in the present and Oyserman's work is really helpful in thinking about how we work with people to develop those roadmaps but again I'm, I'm concerned about the ways in which sometimes it assumes that that possibility is always context-free so simply working with people to try and think about those roadmaps will allow for the achievement of future possible self whereas the reality is that the the sort of structural social um, economic exigencies of people's lives are not always accounted for in the ways in which those roadmaps are thought about and that's the sort of the problem about thinking sociologically about a psychological construct and that's where that's why I sort of sometimes throw the papers on the floor and give up and stomp off for a bit and then come back to it again. But I really like the fact that we're all thinking sociologically about this and, and I'm finding that really helpful. Um, so then we've also talked about the idea of actual or true possible selves and the ways in which they can actually contradict other aspects of the self as well. So there's a lot of complexity going on. So it's not that people have this either very well elaborated or not view of a future possible self but that even when that future possible self is highly elaborated it might be at odds with other parts of the ways in which they think about themselves so the whole construct is quite complex so some of the work that I've done in the past um, so this particular project was looking at how students were were or were not thinking about the future and using participation in extracurricular activities to become the future employed possible self and the work that Sue Clegg and I um, did showed how clearly family and social class was linked to the ways in which students were able to imagine into the future and one of the things that came out of that research and I think again goes back to this idea about what constrains the ways in which students can imagine into the future is how family has or hasn't a history of thinking forward into the future. So middle-class families were sending their young students off to university and these were mostly young people we talked to 
already thinking beyond the degree. So their temporality was very far into the future and they were already advising them that the strategies they should adopt in higher education were to become a future imagined employed self and an employed self in a, in a postgraduate employment uh, role so that they'd maybe come through a trajectory of schooling where they were being encouraged to be on the football team, to lead the football team, not for the innate value of being in those activities but because of how that could help them to become the person who then gets the offer for university which helps them to become the person at university then to keep going in the football team because that will help you be able to narrate that story of yourself as a leader etc and they were families who had long-term mortgages saved for a future had pension plans so the temporality of the family was long term whereas other students who were maybe living in families who were paid weekly or uh, monthly benefits, who paid weekly uh, rent or who were earning maybe on a, a daily basis or a weekly basis, who didn't have savings, who, had, who lived in families where the ability to think into the future was really quite problematic. The, the, the furthest they'd got in their thinking was to become a student and then they were having to reimagine the next level of the future possible self. Uh, as they worked forward. So what we were looking at is, is different groups of students really, those students who were living, uh, who could think into the future um, and those students who either for, for the reasons I've talked about were thinking only in the present or actually some students who were really challenging the discourse of the student who should be thinking into the future and were choosing to live in the present which is quite a different group of students and there was a particular group of students who really disliked the idea that they had to come into university and then start thinking about leaving almost I mean employability starts on day one doesn't it you know it's why can't you just be a student for a little bit um, and then there were students whose pasts were really constraining the ways in which they could think about the future as well. So that's when we first started to use um, possible selves work, thinking about those groups. And there's a really clear link with gender here. That was very, very explicit. The different ways in which students thought about the future and particularly how they were using the present to build into the future was incredibly gendered but that paper's been published so you can read about it. And then we looked at how students were thinking about time and possibilities in terms of um, attainment, particularly black and minority ethnic students compared to white students on social science courses. And we found six areas or six different ways of thinking about the future here. These are broad categorizations, they're not discrete, discrete uh, framings of individual students, they're different sort of temporalities that we saw. So underdeveloped views of themselves as the future employed. Lots of students whose views of the future were constantly changing, unsurprisingly, etc., etc. I'm not going to talk through all of those. Um, but the, again, there were very classed and gendered differences in the ways in which students thought temporarily about uh, possibilities. And the importance of this was that it did inform the strategies that those students were putting in place to become that future possible selves where those were envisaged and that was their academic strategies and also their extracurricular activities so it links back to the, the previous work and then the final one was looking even more detail about students and the degree attainment gap so the difference between white students performance at degrees uh, in the finals and black and minority ethnic students and again finding really clear differences now this can look like we are or I am 
here blaming students for what's going on. It's, this isn't the case at all. What was happening here was there's a link, a very strong link with class again, but the, um, because of their histories and because of the backgrounds of, of black students in particular being uh, rebuffed when they were trying to seek support to become academically successful, um, they were starting to internalise some of those negative stereotypes about failure and therefore starting to um, assume that they wouldn't get supported because of their previous experiences of not getting support, etc, etc. And there was a real distinction between what they hoped for in terms of their degrees, which was to get a 2-1 or a first, and then what they were actually doing in terms of their strategies, but also complexly some of the ways of performing race particularly from the black men because of the ways in which they didn't want to stand out academically um, and, and to be seen as performing. So it was a very, very complex relationship with what actually happened to them in schools. And then with our Asian and Chinese students, again, this idea of what an ought-to-self should look like. So for those students, they very much internalised the idea that if you were from an Asian or a Chinese background, you should be a high performer. So there was, there was a sort of... Um, disconnect between some of the ways of thinking about their hoped for, their true and their ought to selves. Whereas the white students had much stronger, um, a greater congruence between all those different ways of thinking about what they would hope to be, what they were doing, uh, what they ought to be. There wasn't that same disconnect. And that was partly because of their very strong belief about their entitlement to be in higher education. And that uh, belief linked to class definitely but also linked to whiteness about their rights to be there and it really shaped in the ways in which these different groups of students were using academics to um, they were mobilizing academic capital of academics and some of the students weren't so the white students for example would knock on the doors of academics and demand to be told why they'd got particular marks they would challenge the marks they'd get they would send emails disagreeing completely with the academics in ways in which the other students did because of their both their their uh, lack of congruence between different sorts of selves and also because of their past histories of what happened to them so then I started to think about, uh, because I'm working a lot with refugees, um, I've started to think a lot about what does it mean? How do you think about the future when you've been involved in processes of forced migration? So that the future possible self that you'd work to establish <coughs> and then attain potentially actually is rendered problematic because of what happens to you. And also all of that, um, the temporality of becoming a refugee and, and a lack of security about status and um, how long you can actually stay in a country because of course now in the UK your leave to remain is only for five years it's it's not that you get indefinite leave to remain anymore so there's lots of issues around status and security and what time actually means for refugees both because of what's happened to them and because of um, status and, and the right to remain and of course all of those new possibilities about the self that you might want to become is in an unfamiliar setting um, and then there's all the sort of structural issues and economic issues of poverty, isolation, etc, etc. And then there's some really practical issues for refugees in higher education about lack of recognition of status, lack of recognition of qualifications and so on. So what happens is you, a lot of refugees, around 50% of refugees who come into the UK will have either a professional qualification or a higher education qualification or both.
of adult refugees. So they're not the sort of unskilled groups that sometimes they're portrayed as in the in certain media discourses, but they're actually highly skilled, highly qualified people, but will invariably work, be working either underemployed or they'll be unemployed. And that's because um, quite often their previous head education is disregarded and it doesn't have validity anymore or because of the other things that have happened to them. So I'm interested in thinking about what does that mean in terms of thinking about the future and how does that inform the ways in which I've used possible selves. So the, this particular project was looking with a very small group of women who were refugees who were hoping to access the labour market and who currently were either not working or very definitely working in low-skilled, low-paid jobs but had all worked in professional capacities in their home countries. And they were using this particular course to help, they didn't articulate it in this way, obviously, it would have been good if they had, um, to think about their career possible selves and then to establish those roadmaps that Oyserman talks about. So the course was about eight weeks long and it allowed us to really talk about their past histories and where they wanted to end up, so what those future possible selves were. Um, in terms of methodology for gathering this data, it was all um, I'll come back to that. It was all interviews and informal conversations. And I haven't talked about methodology here particularly because I'm talking more about results. But one thing I did want to, to talk about because it came up in some of the other conversations about theatre was um, one of the things that I did was we ran some exercises or some activities where they could adopt different personas so they could choose to be anybody else that they wanted to be. Um, so, I don't know, Madonna or somebody like that. And then had conversations about future possibilities and I'm still thinking around what was going on in those conversations because it completely changed the ways in which they were able to articulate a future. So there was something about adopting that different persona. So even though they were talking about their future and what they wanted to be, so it wasn't Madonna's future or what Madonna would want to be, they were using that, that persona to allow themselves to um, converse around those things in ways which I'm still not quite understanding what was going on um, and I need to do a bit more thinking about that. Because despite the fact that I've been cited earlier on, I don't know what I'm talking about half the time, and that's one of the areas I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, so what did I actually find in this particular project? Um, well, hoped for possible selves and feared possible selves, not unsurprisingly, hoped for possible selves to get that status security, a professional job, higher education qualification, etc. And feared was social insecurity, status insecurity and unemployment and poverty. So the, the, the present that they had now was also the feared possible future, so they were the same things. Um, there's a quote there that I'll just read out, and this is typical. I was a doctor, that's what I wanted to be, I want to be again because it's important to me and my family, that now there's only me responsible for them. So not all of these women had come with their partners, but most of them had children with them. Now I do nothing, it's bad for me, for my family. I've always worked, made them proud. I don't want to have to be given money. That came up over and over again. That, that was really fearful, this idea that they would live on benefits for a long time. I want to earn it. I'm ashamed to take money from the government. I want to find a way back to being a doctor. So that, that future and that past were quite 
linked so the past possibilities were framing what they would hope to be in the future and that fear of not being able to earn um, and that feeling of being ashamed of the situation they were in in the present was was actually one of the ways in which they were framing what they wanted to be in the future what they wanted to become um, and then I, we're looking at ought to and true possible selves, and I'm still not convinced, I'm happy with that terminology, and it is how it's used in the possible selves literature, but again, um, I'm sort of playing around with this. But in terms of ought to, they were quite clear that if they didn't want to live on benefits, they ought to take any job and earn any money so that they didn't take money from the state. But their true view of themselves was to have a professional role, to be a high earner and to be a role model. So they were really troubled by the present and the ways in which the present was so different from what they wanted their future possible self to be. So again, a different refugee talking about wanting their children to be proud of them. Shame again. They'll do anything. They'll take any money. That's what a mother should do. So that the, the idea of the career possible self is also running at the same, running isn't it? congruent with being also a mother um, and, and sort of providing for the family as well. So different things going on at different times here for these refugees. And then possible and impossible selves. So going back to the work that I'd done before with students in higher education, so I've gone back to look at the ways in which we framed the ways in which those students were thinking about their futures and temporality. And what isn't in any of these narratives is very highly developed possible selves um, that were really congruent. And that's because their views of what they could be in the future were still quite abstract because they weren't able to do the things that they wanted to do to become their desired possible self. So the people who had been doctors, who wanted to be doctors again, that was quite an abstract view because they couldn't practice. Their qualifications were not recognised. So to be a doctor again, they would have to retrain. And there are very few places that take refugee doctors and do short-term training. I think St George's in London is one of them. But mostly they have to retrain from scratch. And of course, they can't do that financially and it's a huge ask isn't it if you've tried to be a doctor once um, so on the one hand that view of the future was highly developed be a doctor again but it was also quite problematic um, and also they they none of them were only living in the present unlike some of those students that we interviewed who really wanted to just enjoy the present this was not like that for these refugees. Their pasts were constant, constantly there in the present and the present was constantly about what the future might be. So they lived in those multiple temporalities all of the time. Um, and then the final one that I've talked about is that um, even when they, there was possibilities for them to become their future possible self that they'd been in their home country or that, that self that they'd been in their home country. Um, they didn't understand the processes of getting through the higher education system because there's very few advisors or mentors working with this particular group of people. There are um, lots of refugee support organisations but they're not necessarily those that are 
have a, strong, a good understanding of higher education. So they're tending to work to integrate in other ways, but, but higher education advisors don't necessarily know about refugees. So there's a bit of a disconnect there. But what I found is um, these sorts of ways of thinking about uh, possibilities and the ways in which they were living temporarily. And so lots of them were planning for a very unknown future. They wanted a future, so the, the present wasn't right, but they didn't know what that future might be. So quite a lot of them were just saying things like, I'll learn as much as I can, who knows where it'll take me. I've learned not to plan. But at the same time, they want to plan. So they're learning everything they can, which is a form of planning, while saying that they're not planning. Then there were those students whose past was constantly relating to what that future might be. And I think um, there is this, in the possible selves literature, one of the things that's problematic, apart from the lack of sort of um, link to social structures, is this idea that time is linear and that um, people progress through time in a very linear way. And I think what became really, really apparent in doing this work is that for refugees, time is very definitely not linear and their past is constantly pulling people back again. So framing action in the present to become a future possible self is very difficult when everything that's shaping the way in which you think about yourself is about past trauma and past circumstances. And again, bearing in mind that a lot of these refugees were very separated from their families, so they may have um, one of these refugees had been out with one of the children when their village was um, stormed, whatever the word is, and the husband and the other child were in the village and she didn't know where they were. So there's all of those issues around trauma, potential bereavement, about being separated. So the, the pasts that were constantly shaping the ways in which they could think about the future um, was really, really problematic and shaping. They didn't really know that they hoped that they would be reunited, but part of that might not be in the UK. So sometimes reunification takes place in the country maybe where the husband has ended up, and that happens quite a lot. So that's also problematic for thinking about where that future might be. Um, and then a lot of them talking about how this sort of the future had been, or the possibilities for the future had been blocked um, by by the sort of structures around them. So you cannot be a teacher here, you're not qualified. But they've actually taught for years and, and been a head teacher potentially or somebody quite senior. But that qualification is not recognised here. And then there's students who's um, trying to integrate all of those things into their strategies in the present. And um, again, going back to this thing about learning, relearning learning it all again, what I learnt back then, learning again now, I hope that it's worth it. So that temporality um, of going back and forwards from the present to the future to the past, etc. Yeah, I'm nearly finished, don't worry. Um, so, although I can talk for hours. So I, I'm using this term about fractured possible self now because, again, I think because of the problematic way in which the possible selves literature thinks about time as, as it's linear, I see there being almost a fault line through time here for these refugees. Um, and, and, this, this, and I think fractured 
is also quite a brutal term and that's what's happened in their lives so it's the ways in which I'm, I'm sort of trying to come up with another way of thinking about what's what's actually going on for refugees it's quite different potentially to other people um, so the quotes there about the lost past and and how much of that has has ended and how they have really lost absolutely everything the loss of dreams so that ability to to dream forward the imagination that's been talked about um, the teachers imagination and so on the ways in which they thought about imagination that's problematic in the second quote down then there's the transference of time possible future possibilities onto the next generation so there's that acceptance or that belief that their possibility has ended being fractured but there's potential for it to be picked up with the next generation um, fourth one uh, third one down so dreams and plans all gone um, and then that just that really strong feeling of of not knowing where futures might be um, and that that belief that the future has just ended so that's that's where they are so implications so now I've got a minute left um, so there's there's real concerns for me about um, how do you how do we work with refugees and obviously again and I should have said at the beginning every single refugee is different to every other single refugee in the same way that students with dyslexia are and I've homogenized here for ease um, but there is there are strong themes coming out of this data about how do you help people think about the future and how do you help people plan when you're dealing with these extreme circumstances and when there are real issues to the attainability of futures how do we help people think about new possible selves whilst not making it that we are helping them to plan for possible selves which they can't attain but how do we also make it realistic how do we strike that balance and enable possibilities and I'm very committed to mentors and education advisors because we've talked about them being sources of possible selves but there are actually ways in which how you think about what's possible and how you can elaborate what that future might look like they're really really important so there is a need to develop roadmaps and set concrete plans but that's with within a context that I've mentioned of recognising the problems of the worlds in which refugees are, are living. But I'm convinced that higher education can play a role and doesn't play a role enough. So I'm currently, and I keep banging on about this to everyone who listen, setting up a refugee mentoring scheme at Sheffield Hallam where we will be working with Voluntary Action Sheffield and Sheffield City Council to link individual mentors to mainly academic members of staff but not exclusively who know their professional world and can talk to them about possibilities and help them think about what might be possible so questions i'll come back to references and i just wanted to draw attention to this because i added this on at the end that isn't to say there aren't some of those things happening at all um, and there are organizations like scholars at risk and article scholars at risk is a network i don't know whether people know about it but it's a worldwide network where universities are encouraged to step in when a scholar, either an academic member of staff or a, usually a, um, a research student, um, has suddenly experienced really risky circumstances, so lots of Syrian scholars, for example, and to relocate them to a different country and a different university. And Article 26 is part of the Helena Kennedy Foundation, 
and it's looking at help people apply and get into higher education so I didn't want to just say nothing's happening there are all the references and that's the questions finished thank you